Jesus taught us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. For those who enter into that mercy life, those who are willing to lay down their lives, to set aside their personal wants or priorities and pour out their lives in meeting the needs of others, there is a union with God, a sense of being joined with him, entered into the flow of God's heart that is beyond words to describe how satisfying and fulfilling that is. Do you know why the Dead Sea is so toxically salty and unable to sustain life? And meanwhile, the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life and beauty? Here's why. The Dead Sea takes in water, but has no outlet. But the Sea of Galilee has water coming in and water going out. If we want to experience the victorious life of Christ, God's mercy must flow into us and then out of us. Last week, we talked about making a conscious surrender to doing God's will. Today, we look at some practical ways to allow his mercy to flow through us into the lives of others. Thanks for joining us. In our last episode, we were talking about coming to the place where we decide to surrender our lives to the will of God. And Pastor Steve talked about submitting everything that we do in our life to God, asking him to speak to us about those things. In this episode, we want to also help you see that there are very practical things that you can start doing today that are absolutely God's will. Pastor Ed Book joined me to talk about changing the way we view people because that's one of the very first places that we have to start. So what we want to do in this interview, Pastor Ed, is we want to give people some really practical instruction about becoming a vessel of mercy because when you think about it, mercy toward other people is the opposite of being in lust toward them. Right. Uh, one is all about taking, that's lust, but mercy is all about giving, it's selfless. So really, a person who's repenting of a life of lust is saying, I'm going to start seeing people differently, and I'm going to start treating them differently. And so I, what I want to do today in this interview is start off by identifying some of the sinful ways that we've looked at people in the past and thought about people, and then also look at godly ways to see people. Um, what are some of the ways that our sinful flesh causes us to see people? Yeah, well, you know, Nate, unless the Lord has really helped us change the way we would naturally view or categorize other people, to me, it boils down to like two extremes. We either see people as leeches or donors. Okay, uh, of course. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, we would never allow ourselves probably to use those words for it, uh, <laughs> right. but that's actually what's happening in our heart. Yeah. You know, we, we see this leech, this person who is trying to feed off of me in mm -hmm. some way, uh, yeah. they're taking advantage of my 
resources or abilities in some way that ends up giving them a greater benefit than I've received from them. Okay. For okay. It. okay. And, and of course, you know, there are some worst case examples where a leech type person will just drain us completely yeah. of our uh-huh. energy, our time, our uh-huh. finances, somehow just ends up sucking the life out of us. And we feel that from them. You know, on the other side, there's the donors, the uh, people that are, we see them as people who are going to make a contribution of some sort yeah. into our life. Yeah. And, you know, that takes different forms. And some of them get into sin. You, you mentioned like sinful ways that we see other people uh, because we're looking to others to satisfy our desires. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our culture, unquestionably, uh, sexual lust is one of the most prevalent desires that mm-hmm. we're looking for others to satisfy, even if it's not a physical relationship. We're feeding our mental fantasy yeah. life yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. But it could be a lot more subtle than that. We use other people and expect them to help satisfy like our desires for attention, mm-hmm. acceptance, mm-hmm. security, emotional connections. We want other people to take care of us uh, mm-hmm. emotionally, mm-hmm. usually first of all, but it could also be financially or spiritually. And we can just drift into a sinful side of all of those yeah. things. And then there's, you know, we want people also around us that we can use as scapegoats. We, we want mm. somebody to blame our problems and yeah. difficulties yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. So, so we have donors for that uh, as well. <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, that we might even see people as part of our calling somehow. Like I feel this need to be invested in people's lives and counseling or fixing their problems mm. or things like that. Uh, but somehow we see them as a key to our fulfillment or yeah. satisfaction. Yeah. And so we treat them as donors. And mm-hmm. the bottom line being that the net result of our relationship is a gain for me personally. Mm. So, and like you mentioned, you know, the simple way to say it is, uh, you know, they're givers or takers. And of course, <laughs> we're always trying to manipulate our takers into becoming givers (laughs) to Mm -hmm. us. And the real Mm -hmm. problem, I think, Nate, is that when we look at other people, the real problem is we have ourselves at the center and everybody else just kind of revolving in orbit around us. And uh, so unless the Lord steps in and changes our perspective, we're always going to tend to see people in terms of how they either benefit me or fail to benefit me. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, the knife goes in a little deep when you talk about things like that. And as you were talking, I think the thing that was striking me is how subtle these things are, because I'm not sure that any of us really ever plan on being that way. It's just we've got this kind of impulse, I need, and then we see somebody that we think can meet the need, or we think I need something for myself, and we see somebody that's, hey, but they're taking this from me, and we're just reacting and acting out of impulse rather than consciously thinking along those lines. Yeah, that's exactly right, Nada. I mean, we just, this is what comes natural to us. This is our default. It's the mm-hmm. way we're born into, if you mm-hmm. will. And unless... God steps in and changes that, you you know, that'll continue for us. But can I tell you that God sees people very differently Mm. (laughs) than that? You know, he's not looking for leeches and donors Mm -hmm. (laughs) in people. He's not afraid uh, to have us take from him. Uh, You Mm. know, scripture says straight out, it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. You know, he's not worried about us taking something from him. He isn't trying to extract contributions from us either. Mm -hmm. You you know, he doesn't have any needs that you and I could possibly (laughs) really fulfill for him. The Bible says that you and I are the apple of God's eye. He inscribes our name on 
the palm of his mm. hands. He broods over us with like a jealous, yearning mm. love. And uh, he delights to give good gifts to his children. You know, that's <laughs> – so when the Lord thinks of people, you know, mm-hmm. what he wants, he yearns for that communion, that heart-to-heart fellowship with us. But even that is for our sakes, not mm. his sake. God's focus is always on supplying our needs. Mm. He wants what's best for us. So when he looks at us, that's what he sees. He sees our needs and sees them much more clearly and accurately than we could ever see them ourselves. And then he looks to meet those needs for us. And he truly delights, Nate, in going Mm -hmm. above and beyond in meeting our needs. He gives us super abundant supply, an overflowing supply, Mm -hmm. a flood of mercy, we like to say here Mm -hmm. at Pure Life. And the thing that really most delights his heart is when we join him and we start looking at others the same way he does when we start looking for ways that we can be that vessel of his mercy mm-hmm. to meet someone mm-hmm. else's need. You know, we have a guy that we sometimes quote, Rex Andrews. Uh, it's a man who really studied what the Bible teaches about mercy. And he came up with this definition of biblical mercy. And it's a little lengthy, but man, it, there's so much. <laughs> They're familiar with this definition. We've gone over it. Good. Well, if you'll bear with me, I'd like to just read it again because, man, every time I read it, it just grips me with, mm. with the insight. He said, mercy is God's supply system for every need everywhere. Mercy is that kindness, that compassion and tenderness, which is a passion to suffer with or enter into another's ills or evils in order to relieve, heal, and restore. Mercy accepts another freely and gladly as he is and supplies the needed good of life to build up and to bring to peace and keep in peace. Mm. Mercy is to take another into one's heart just as he is and cherish and nurture him there. Mercy takes another's sins and evils and faults as its own and frees the other by bearing them to God. This is the glow of love. And, you know, Nate, this is the mercy God sent Jesus to reveal Mm. to us. Mm -hmm. And that's how God sees people. Mm. Wow, what a contrast between what you talked about, how we are in our natural state and how God is in his natural state, if I could say it that way. Yeah. There's no effort on his part to be that, yeah. which is amazing and, and just highlights how much we need him. We're not going to be like that That's without right. him. Yeah, we'll never trump that up within ourselves. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. has to come through him. Um, one of the things that we touched on in the last episode was how when a person's repenting of sexual sin... In a sense, they can bring that self-centeredness into the repentance process, and now it's like, now it's my purity and my progress and my spiritual need. That becomes the center focus of everything, and we're just forgetting about other people still. It's it's just now there's a new goal. And I just think it's really easy to get imbalanced in that way, and I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that 
so that people can avoid that trap. Sure, because you're absolutely right. You know, that is a danger we all have to guard against. Um, And I think the problem is that we're trying to eliminate sin and develop a pure heart, but we're doing it while we're still at the center. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have to get ourselves out of the center. Mm -hmm. Jesus is preeminent. He Mm -hmm. has to become the one who's at the center, Mm -hmm. and then I can prefer him and others way ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, Nate, we would do well to remember really what Jesus said about the two greatest commandments, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the greatest was to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, all of our being, in other words. And the, the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, you know, I was taught somewhere along the line, uh, I think as a student going through the residential program at Pure Life, honestly, I was taught somewhere along the line that love in its simplest terms is giving of oneself. Mm. So if we Think about that in prioritizing our loving God and loving others. It, you know, I'm prioritizing giving myself away in mm-hmm. meeting others' needs then. Mm-hmm. And it becomes the fulfillment of what Paul even wrote about in Romans 13 mm-hmm. there in verses 8 to 10 where he basically says if we are doing that, loving others, pouring ourselves out in loving others, we're fulfilling the whole law mm-hmm. and keeping all the commandments mm-hmm. even. What about the person who says, and I asked this in the last episode, I'd like to get your um, take on it. What about the person who says, but when I try to give, I see just how selfish I still am? Yeah, well, that <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you, you know, we're not going to nail this the first time out of the gate. Right. But, you know, I can remember my own situation just feeling that way and, you know, almost like there's this gushing out of my heart and it's mostly, you know, just still polluted water right. coming out. But it was like the Lord was showing me, but there was like a silver thread of him mm-hmm. in there that was coming out or, mm-hmm. or a thread of purity that was actually him. And in time, that becomes the predominant flow even. Yeah. And the other is still there because we're human and we struggle, but uh, the Lord is winning. Yeah, amen. That's awesome. Just so that people are encouraged, don't quit. Absolutely, (laughs) don't quit. (laughs) Um, One passage that's really helpful is Isaiah 58, and we see God saying basically, listen, if you would set other people free— you know, if you would work to free them from wickedness, if you would work to see the oppressed loosed from their bondage, if you would share your bread with the hungry, then your light is going to break forth. Your righteousness is going to come forth speedily. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just really interesting. It's like God is saying, if you'll take care of others, I will take care of you. That's right. And I've heard you talk a lot about this and just want you to encourage our listeners with some of the things that God's made real to you about this. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure there are probably even other places in Scripture uh, that go hand in hand with Isaiah 58, like you just mentioned, that kind of reveal that God will take care of us as we're taking care of others. Mm -hmm. And we don't really need to make that a place of our focus personally. But for me, it really happened kind of very simply and straightforward. I was going through the Beatitudes there in Matthew Mm -hmm. 5, and the fifth Beatitude says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And the Lord just, you know, opened that up to me and showed me that I really didn't need to be focused on my needs. If I made it a point and a commitment to meeting the needs of others, Uh to being merciful Uh and doing unto others, then I could trust God to meet my needs. Mm. That's what would be the natural, inevitable outcome of me meeting the needs of others. God would take care of mine. Yeah. And that's one of those things, I think, that 
you have to experience it. Yeah. <laughs> so you really, you just have to practice and then you'll find that that's true rather that's right. than just having it kind of like a concept that you read about. That's right. Yeah. Just, you know, focus on meeting needs of others, look for needs in uh-huh. other people's lives. And, and, you know, let me just add there, Nate, you know, maybe people feel like, well, I don't know what their needs are. You can always pray for them. Mm. Everybody needs someone to undertake for them in prayer that the yeah. Lord would make them to know Jesus more and, you know, just meet their spiritual needs, mm-hmm. their growth in them spiritually. And you can pray all sorts of things, but right. that's just a starting point. <laughs> I want to keep talking about this because our culture is constantly feeding us the lie that the way to real happiness is to accumulate stuff for yourself. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen an advertisement of any kind that's like, hey, buy this for somebody else. Right. You know, <laughs> these people need this. So you spend your money and give it away. Um, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time focusing on the lies because we're trusting that the people who are listening today are really repenting and they want to leave that life of selfishness behind. Can you just give them some more encouragement? Sure, because, you know, really, Nate, it's a simple choice. You know, it is amazing, really, that we all still fall for that lie Mm -hmm. (laughs) that advertising and culturally in the world presents to us because to some degree, we have surely all experienced the emptiness of living for self. You know, we end up frustrated, empty. The more we gain, the less we're satisfied. We never feel like we have enough. Mm -hmm. You know, our happiness is always fleeting because it's just a shallow feeling that's derived from like favorable circumstances mm-hmm. and they turn out to be temporary. So the mercy life that God brings us into is the antidote to all of that malaise, all of that discontentment mm-hmm. and depression mm-hmm. and anxiety mm-hmm. that is rooted in, in living for self. And Jesus taught us very simply that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, the opposite of what the world's been oh, teaching yeah. us. But for those who enter into that mercy life, then those who are willing to lay down their lives to set aside their personal wants or desires or priorities Mm -hmm. and pour out their lives in meeting the needs of others, there is a union with God, a a sense of being joined with him, entered into the flow of God's heart toward other people that is uh, beyond words to describe how satisfying and fulfilling that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, an abiding joy that comes with that kind of life that nothing in this world can disrupt or take away. It's like being truly alive inside for a change and able to even endure you know, the hardships or the self-denial because we're now doing what God designed and created us to do, and that trumps everything. I also wanted to talk with Austin Krupp, one of our biblical counselors, about the role of prayer when it comes to practically living out mercy. Our entire next episode is going to be about prayer. So at this time, we just want to highlight for you the fact that putting off sinful thinking isn't enough. We have to replace it with something good. And prayer is a perfect replacement for that sinful thinking. So Austin, one of the things that we realize when we decide to live the life of mercy is that our thinking has to change because if our mind is full of the world and full of lust, then there's no room for the love of God to be there. Mm 
And so what we want to do in this interview is help people who have had a past life of worldly thinking and lusting and pride and criticism to begin to pray instead of thinking. So let's start off with this. How have you seen the blessing of praying instead of thinking? Yeah, so I found that when I'm praying that the faculties that are required for prayer are the very same ones that I'm engaging in when I'm either lusting or criticizing. Okay, explain that. It involves my thoughts, uh-huh. my will, uh-huh. my emotions. Those are the things my will is being engaged in. I'm deciding to judge this person mm. or I'm deciding to think about this person mm-hmm. in this way. And as a result of that, there's emotion that comes mm. along with that. Okay. And thoughts spawn from that. Yeah. And so I've found in my personal life that that's the same way that prayer works. And so when I choose instead of thinking in this way to pray Uh and seek the Lord's will for this person, that it replaces all of those same faculties. Okay. So when I'm choosing to pray, I am engaging my thoughts. Right which eventually will result in being really involved emotionally Mm. um, for these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. It makes me think of that verse where Paul says, don't give your members to unrighteousness, Mm -hmm. but yield them to God. So it's basically exactly what you're talking about. You're yielding your will, your mind, your thinking, and your emotions to God for the purpose of righteousness instead of the purpose of sin. Yes, so early in my program, my counselor had been telling me that I should pray for other people. He mm-hmm. was teaching me how to replace these thoughts of lust with prayer. Mm-hmm. And I remember one evening on the student center uh, porch, and I was doing my homework, mm-hmm. just going about my evening, and I realized suddenly that there's this pornographic music video playing through my mind. It Mm -hmm. was very vivid. And as this thing began to play through my mind, I recalled what my counselor had told me, that I can choose to pray instead of just let this thing go. Yeah, yeah. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to try it. I've never done this. I'm going to try it. Okay. And so I did. And as I began to pray for this person... Something happened that I have, I never had experienced before. Mm -hmm. And there was a dark robe that covered that person that took away the lustful appeal Mm. of that person. And I began to see her face for the first time. And I saw in her what Jesus saw. So like in your mind, that hadn't happened in the videos. Like in your mind, you saw something cover her body. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, and then you saw her face. Mm -hmm. And I saw her eyes, and I saw that she was empty, and Mm. she was crying out for something that she would never find. Mm. So the Lord gave me just a sight of what he saw, that emptiness, Mm. Mm. that seeking after something that would never fill or satisfy her. Mm. And (laughs) that touched me in a deep way. And Mm. within like 
two or three minutes completely different. Wow. Just full of lust yeah. to being broken and crying for the need of this soul. Wow. And that was a very dramatic experience that I've had. I've never had anything that dramatic since then, but it proved to me that when I uh, yield myself yeah. to be obedient to God's will instead yeah. of lusting, to choose to love, that the power of the Holy Spirit is present to really change my heart and give me God's love. Yeah. I love that story. That's an amazing testimony of what God can do when we decide to obey him. Mm -hmm. And I also am glad that you mentioned that that was the first and last time something like that has happened in prayer because prayer is not always full of drama. Sometimes it's just full of the battle of obedience mm -hmm. where yeah. we do what we're called to do even when we don't feel it. Mm -hmm. And man, when we commit that I'm going to deny myself my lust, I'm going to deny myself my criticism, I'm going to deny myself my judging, mm -hmm. the battle can be pretty intense. Yeah. Because you are telling yourself, no, mm -hmm. we're not going in that direction. We're going to go in a direction that's foreign to us. Mm -hmm. um, how would you say that praying for others and doing mercy in our hearts really puts the nail in the coffin of sinful behaviors and attitudes? Yeah, for me, it really causes me or it requires me to make a decisive turn. Mm. So it requires me to make a commitment and a turning that's not just like, oh, yeah, I met with my counselor and I'm really hyped up about, about like fighting this lust or fighting uh -huh. this criticism, you know, but I don't ever follow through. But here, this is like the getting down into the dirt uh -huh. of spiritual... Um, I don't know, spiritual warfare, spiritual, where things actually happen inside of me. Right. It's not just listening to a nice sermon okay. and getting yeah, yeah. involved. In, but this, when I actually choose to pray, this is where I'm saying and committing to the Lord, I'm changing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to turn away and I'm going to turn to you. Yep and commit myself to this. And anyone who's started to pray or has attempted to pray realizes very quickly that it's not by my power that I can pray. It's me yielding myself to the Lord. But that it causes me, it requires me to make a decisive turn yeah. away and yeah. to the Lord, Yeah, to yield myself over to his will. Yeah, I mean, that's good because it's like, in one sense, we want to think maybe our temptation is anger we say, well, as long as I don't murder anybody, then I'm okay. But man, when you decide that I'm not just going to cut things off at the level of my actions, I'm going to cut things off at the level of my feelings and my thoughts, that's where you realize I got to deny me. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard battle. So we started this episode talking about how our whole view of people needs to change. I talked with Pastor Ed in an earlier um, interview where – our burden and our goal in life is no longer to take from people, but to give to people. And sometimes I think maybe 
we feel that prayer is really impractical. Like, well, I want to help people, but a prayer, you know, uh, I'm not sure. I got to get out there and do something. Mm-hmm. How is prayer, from your perspective, <laughs> really a powerful tool to doing mercy? Yeah, well, within the immediate sphere of your influence, whether that's your family, your friends, I think this principle of praying for people in your heart is in the most practical sense, I think, (laughs) what ends up happening for me is it changes me. Mm. Um, It makes me a blessing Mm. instead of a curse to my family, Mm. to my friends, and it changes you. It changes who you are. Uh-huh. And so when you're in that conversation uh-huh. or when you're faced with that difficult situation where before you would have just flown off the handle or whatever, you're actually able to reach out to that person with the okay. love of Christ, with the, the patience of Jesus. And that's going to be a testimony to them. That's going to encourage them or uh-huh. maybe convict them if they're not saved whatever the case, it's going to change you as a person. Now, in counseling, I have seen this over and over again where I'm just at the end of trying to get a guy to see his need or to bring some sense of uh, poverty or like to try to get him to come to the place where he recognizes I have a need for the Lord or something. And I'm just at the end, like I've reasoned with him. I've given him scripture. I've given him homework assignments to go over scripture and just nothing's happening. Uh And often I've found that it actually will take place after I've prayed. Uh Um, When I've been in the place of prayer for that person, I just recently experienced that where I've just been completely at the end. And one morning, I just remember I had a really, there was just, it was so difficult, so heavy, so hard to pray for this person. And I just felt so weak, Uh (laughs) felt so unable to even uh, voice or formulate words to pray for this person. But I just was giving it the best shot I could, praying and crying out to the Lord for Uh this person. And the next day or so in counseling, I realized, oh, wow, this has completely changed. This guy (laughs) has gotten the breakthrough that I've been trying to give him, Uh and I think it was through the prayer. That's awesome. I love what you said on both those accounts because... On the one hand, you're you're trusting God to work in the secret place of of that person's heart, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, your prayer is changing you, so that when you go to be in those situations with people, it's not just you in the flesh; mm-hmm. it's it's you in the spirit, and that's man, that's really good stuff. I I hope people are paying attention because man, this is so critical. Um, It's been a real blessing for me to be here at Pure Life because prayer is so central to our ministry here. And, you know, when any of us are struggling, we can grab a brother and ask for prayer. Mm -hmm. Or when there's a need, maybe groups of people will get together and pray. And we meet as a staff twice a week to pray for ministry needs. So it's definitely setting the tone and for our culture here. Um, 
What benefit do you see it having for staff or for students just that there's a culture of prayer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is that kingdom principle that Jesus gives us somewhere in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And that I just see as such a need for us as people, as human beings, because we... (laughs) automatically are drawn, are automatically we are just gravitate towards the world, towards pleasing Mm. the flesh, and Mm -hmm. just a very weak spiritual kind of life. Mm -hmm. And there's really nothing there that keeps us anchored unless we have this mentality, unless we understand, oh, I'm in the I'm not at home. I'm in a passing phase. I'm going somewhere. Uh-huh. And that's what I think that that atmosphere of prayer has done for us here at Pure Life as staff. And we're trying to instill that for the students mm-hmm. as well is I'm here to fight a battle. I'm not mm-hmm. here to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm here to seek the kingdom mm-hmm. and to make disciples. And I think as well, it keeps me engaged because prayer is also the way that you enjoy the Lord Mm. and delight yourself in him. Mm. And a lot of times, you know, prayer for me hasn't been this great emotional, like, high. I get it, man. (laughs) But there are times, specific times, when the Lord breaks through. And I know for a fact that if I would not be seeking the Lord, Um, if we wouldn't be intentional by spending time in prayer together, that these would never happen. Mm. And Mm. that satisfaction inside of me, delighting myself in the Lord, finding that delight in Him, rather that helps me to find that delight in Him rather than having to go to seek it in the world, in worldly things. Right. You name it, you know? Yeah. But it keeps me centered on the... on the Lord as my satisfaction, yeah, as my pleasure. Oh, this is, man, I'm telling you, this is just, I'm really being blessed because it's, um, yeah, it's like when, when we're telling people to forsake the things that are so natural to them, whether that's worldly pleasure or lust or criticism, all those things are just cheap, easy pleasures, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. we're telling people go out into the wilderness mm-hmm. and seek after God. Mm-hmm. And every so often you'll find this oasis mm-hmm. where you really experience him. And then that drives you further out into mm-hmm. trying to find him and wanting to find him. And without that hunger, you never find it. You just keep drinking at the same broken cisterns over mm-hmm. and over again. But I believe you've really given people some inspiration to actually go do this Mm. and not just hear about it, but do it. Mm -hmm. So, man, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. One thing that I love about Jesus is that his compassion for people led him to actively meet their needs. He fed thousands of people on the countryside because his heart was moved with compassion. His compassion moved him to raise a widow's son from the dead, and his love compelled him to die on the cross. 
So, as we begin to repent of our old habits and thoughts, and as we experience the life of God in us, we're going to also be moved by compassion toward other people, and it's going to help us to live out God's will toward them. Biblical counselor Chris Hurley came in and spoke to me about this because he used to be full of anger and self-centeredness, but the Lord is teaching him to see needs and to respond to those needs. I want you to hear what he has to say about how mercy meets the practical needs of others. Chris, you were here when Frank Leonetti shared his testimony in chapel, and we shared Mm -hmm. that testimony on this podcast a while ago to prove to our listeners that what we're speaking about in this series, Mercy, that it really does something in people's lives. And he shared this one story about he was feeling so tormented by lust that he was just going around like a madman. Can I do something for you? Can I mop that floor? Can I do that chore for you? Because he just wanted to be free from the torment of lust. And he was sharing that when he would do those things, there was a real freedom that would come. And have you also found that doing mercy for others, whether it be praying for others or meeting practical needs, that that brings a freedom to you on the inside? Yeah, definitely. Um, There's an aspect to doing mercy for others that removes us immediately from the realm of self. Mm -hmm. We're not focused on our own needs. Mm -hmm. Paul said in Philippians 2, uh, chapter 2, 3, and 4, mm-hmm. that our old nature was to be selfish and self-absorbed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're commanded, because these are the words of God, not to continue in this way of thinking, but to count others more significant than ourselves, and that we are to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right, right. So he goes on to say that this is really the mind of Christ, who did not come to be served, to serve. Yeah. So before coming to Christ, I was solely concerned with what I wanted out of life. Um, my whole reason for being was my pleasure first, above yeah. all other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't see beyond my own desires. When I came to pure life, uh, it was the first time I actually saw mercy as more than a word on paper, mm-hmm. but it was a concept. There was actual work involved in doing mercy. There right. was a doing component. Right. So I'd say when my counselor, Jim Lewis, first said, well, are you doing mercy? And I went, duh, what? And <laughs> right. he, he gave me tasks to do. Okay. He said, well, just do someone's chore. Sure. Well, okay. I saw that. It was a, it was a task. Uh-huh. that I was assigned, right, and I did it out of obligation. So my heart posture, my motivation behind it was, yeah, for me. And it took a while. I mean, at the beginning, I did the job I was required to do. Uh-huh. I didn't enjoy it. There was yeah. no sense of fulfillment or right. uh, it was a struggle. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I came home from Leslie's, I wanted me time. Right. Okay. I didn't want to think about, I've got to go pray with this guy. He was having a lousy day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's totally grudging. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. Right. So um, after a while, um, instead of saying, look how wonderful I am, Lord, look at what I'm doing for you. Um, he came along, (laughs) told me what a Pharisee I was continuing to be. Mm -hmm. And, It was that still small voice that was starting to speak to me that said, there's nothing that you're doing that is glorifying my name. Mm. So over time, 
instead of looking at myself, I actually, I could see men who were suffering. Mm. And mm. somebody's you know, car would get stopped due to a traffic accident 20 miles from home. They're going to be an hour and a half late. Mm -hmm. Great chance to do their chore. Mm. So I would just mm -hmm. do their mm -hmm. chore. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd, I had the time. I was home. And it really, over a period of about three months, turned from drudgery or a job into a joy. Mm. And I can't say that happened any other way than God's Spirit showing me the joy of serving. Sure. Yeah, and it just goes to show that spiritual truth that serving self is actually a bondage. Mm -hmm. Very much so. And the more that you got out of that kind of self-centered mindset and started to give to others, <laughs> it's like, whoa, there's joy, there's freedom here that I've never experienced before. Very true. And as far as overcoming lust, uh, Frank is a much younger man than I am. Mm -hmm. So... My issue with giving over wasn't as huge an issue. With me, it was fantasy. Mm. I would go into my mind okay. and have thoughts that were dark and from the past and from sin. And so what this allowed me to do by not just being busy, but by within the aspect of doing a practical gift mm -hmm. or a joy mm -hmm. or a work for someone, I would also be praising the Lord. I would mm. be thanking him for the opportunity. I'd never done that before. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> I was always thanking people for doing things for me. Hey, right. thank you. That's really nice of you. <laughs> right, right. But actually, the Lord started to show me. He was filling me with the desire to please him. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm wondering if, you know, it's kind of like uh, the whole idea of when you sow a seed, that seed um, turns into more seed. Mm -hmm. that you can then plant. You know, there's a mm -hmm. multiplication. And I'm wondering if you found it true that when you started to do that that act of mercy and as you started to enter into that lifestyle, did you become more and more aware of the needs around you? Sure. Um, one of the verses I love is Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your heart Mm -hmm. would be enlightened. Mm. And as God was breaking up the fallow ground mm -hmm. in my heart and mm -hmm. I was seeing how really joyful it was to bless others and get out of self, certainly I became more aware of looking for needs. Right. And I could see more. Uh -huh. uh, instead of just doing a chore or you know something like that, all of a sudden a man's life became more visible. He would walk in and you could just tell his countenance mm. would be fallen, as mm. the Bible says. And I'd go to him and say, hey, you look really like you've had a bad day. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Can I pray for something? Okay, And okay. so it moved from the practical yeah. into the much greater, really, spiritual needs of yeah. the men. And now as a counselor... Um, you know, I've got nothing special. God is the counselor. The Holy Spirit does the work. But I walk around now with eyes wide open uh -huh. because there are 65 guys here yeah. who are in trouble right. and hurting. And you cannot walk by a man now in this ministry and not see a need. Mm. You know that they're they're missing their wives, their children. Mm. Maybe they're, they've lost their ministry. Mm. And prayer now... Mm -hmm. started even in the program prayer started to become a much greater aspect of doing mercy and i yeah. think here we all say in pure life that 
mercy is 95% prayer mm. because we're raising the needs up to God. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm loving what you're saying too because it's showing people that just like a person didn't visit a prostitute when they were 12, you know, that mm-hmm. wasn't the first thing they did. Mm-hmm. They looked at some kind of magazine probably. Right. Right. And then 30 years later, they're doing these horribly depraved things. Mm-hmm. It's the same way with mercy. When you begin, it might seem really small, starts with a chore. Mm-hmm. But who knows where a person will be in five years or 10 years, right. where they are really truly consumed with not lust, but with the needs of other people and giving their lives away. Sure. Which means that if we're going to meet someone else's needs, that means foregoing something for us. Always. It's mm-hmm. always a – it's always kind of like an expense, you know what I sure. mean? Um, can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So as an example, um, I'm coming out of the office. I've had a long day of counseling, a lot of guys. I just got through with an OCA call. It's quarter of 10 at night. I'm tired. I'm ready for some me time. I want to mm-hmm, go mm-hmm. read in mm-hmm. my room in our house. And as I'm hitting the bottom of the stairs, I look into the waiting room, which is right across, and I see a student there that I've talked to once, and he looks anxious. He's Mm. just looking perplexed. I had my hand on the doorknob. I was was set to go home, and and I just heard, okay, that is completely not like Christ. To go by someone you know has a need and to just leave mm. them. So I was like, okay, the conviction fell. And I opened the door of the waiting room and I said, hey, how are you doing? And he looked at me and immediately he started weeping. Mm. And I was like, okay, Lord, you completely set this up. Yeah. This was a divine appointment. Mm. And I sat down and I was able to pray with him and encourage him and exhort him to believe what the word says about who he is. And, yeah. and it was just one of those moments. And I left repenting to God saying, I wanted my life right then. And mm. you said, uh-uh, your life is mine. You go and do mercy. Mm. Learn what this means. I desire mercy. And it wasn't a sacrifice. It was just doing what God has called us to do mm-hmm. is to reach into the lives of others as Rex Andrews says and take their sins upon ourselves mm-hmm. and cherish and nourish, nourish them there yeah. and raise them up to the Lord. Um, I find that I'm blessed by the ministry because they give counselors time away to refresh and to just be alone with the Lord for a while to come back because there is a component of pouring yourself out as Paul did. He Mm -hmm. said, I'm poured out as a drink offering on the altar of service. There is that component. So where do you stop? Where have I got to say, no, I need to step away? I I don't know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nate, where that line lies. I think it's different for every person. I, I have to look at Paul as someone other than our perfect savior, whose whole life was doing mercy and being Mm -hmm. poured out. I look at this man as given a task and a commandment, and Jesus said to Ananias to go to Paul and to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Okay, if that's the truth for Paul, then that's also the truth for us. We're Mm -hmm. told we will suffer for Christ. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that may not be physical suffering. That may not be financial suffering. Mm-hmm. But there is a spiritual cost involved no matter yeah. what. Yeah. And I don't know how to tell someone when they need to say, no, I, I have to step back. Right. But the whole idea of burnout in doing mercy or burnout in ministry has always kind of been a befuddling thought for me because if we are filled with Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit, then he's going to provide what we need. Do we get tired? Absolutely, we get tired. I was just talking with Jordan the other day. We're exhausted. Mm -hmm. But there's something about being in that state of weakness that keeps us so close to God Mm. that, you know, he says his strength is perfected when we are at our weakest. Yeah. Perfected, not just made good, but perfected. So I think by having to trust him to fill us, trust him to give us what we need for the task he's putting us into, um, I don't know that we need to worry much or think about how we're going to use our day. He's directing our steps. Mm -hmm. The Bible is very clear that we trust in him. He'll guide our path. He'll guide our steps. And where he's taking us is obviously where he wants us to be. Yeah, and there's that relational aspect too, like you were uh, expressing when you came down the stairs and it was like the Lord was saying, Chris, talk to that man. You know, so when we have that relationship with him, he can direct us. Either it's time to step it up or it's time yeah. to rest. Right. And we just follow him. Right. Um, some people are really geared towards serving in small ways. Maybe they just see those little needs. They want to wash somebody's dishes. They want to lay tile. They want mm-hmm. to do yard work. They're kind of sure. more in the background. Some people are really motivated to meet people's emotional needs or their their spiritual needs. Uh, but what about somebody who says, I just don't really feel qualified to meet needs? Okay. I, uh, I felt that way when I was asked to do this job, <laughs> this mm. work, this calling. Mm. Um, I didn't think I had any qualifications to do this. In fact, I didn't have any qualifications. I think one of the hardest issues to overcome when it it comes to the idea of stepping out is to overcome our fear. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to think we'll be judged, or mm. I think we tend to think that we don't have the skill sets that are necessary to do certain things, sure. and we limit ourselves without remembering that our equipping comes from the Lord. Right, um, right. You know, in Second Timothy, God says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind or self-control, depending mm-hmm. on the version you're reading. And I think it's important that we have to step outside of our comfort. Mm. And the thing I found is if you step into a place you're uncomfortable with once and you're not worried about the outcome because that's in the hands of the Lord, mm. you do your mercy – Mm-hmm. You don't worry about its effect. You go ahead and mow a lawn or you go ahead and build a cabinet or you go ahead and help lay a floor mm-hmm. or um, you don't think you're a great prayer. It doesn't matter. The Lord is in this. He desires mercy. Right. Go and do mercy. He didn't say go and do things you're comfortable with. Mm. Go out and stretch yourself. I'm sure Paul wasn't comfortable receiving 195 stripes on his back. Hmm. or being bitten by a viper, or being in the ocean for three nights. 
I'm sure none of that was comfortable, but he didn't let it deter what the Lord had placed in his life for him to do. He answered the call. Yeah, amen. Well, and the thing I'm grateful for, too, is that when we just acknowledge our need and when we say, Lord, help me. Yes. Help me. You know, he really is able. When when he sees a willing heart and when he sees somebody moving out in faith, he's going to he's going to come in and help us to change. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thank you. Let's end our show today with another testimony from one of our residential students. His name is Caleb. I grew up as a middle son with two parents who loved me as much as two worldly individuals were capable of. When I was 10, we began attending church, and although it was primarily a Sunday thing and nothing changed really in our home. When I was 11, a friend from church shared a pornographic magazine with me and I was hooked. Shortly after that, I discovered self-gratification and this became a carefully hidden part of my life for the next 28 years. In conjunction with that, growing up in a family that was outwardly just fine, but inwardly in turmoil, I began putting up walls of self-protection. I became determined to be self-reliant and reliant on no one. I started working early in life and drew my significance from how people perceive my work. I'd hoped that marriage would curb my porn and self-gratification habit, but I was wrong. While I had short periods of time where I did not get over, I was never free of it. I began having affairs. This came into the light in 2013 and it devastated my wife. We did a marriage weekend dealing with affairs, and I entered a Celebrate Recovery program, but ultimately went back to my sin and began a cycle of being clean for a period of time, white-knuckling through, and then giving back in. I arrived at Pure Life Ministries on September 8, 2020, full of bitterness, unbelief, pride, walled off from people and clinging to an identity that I had made for myself. I was unsure of how the Lord could change me since I was incapable of changing myself. Through my workplace, God began dismantling my self-image and my need to have control over my situation and my work perfectionism. The sermon series, Overcoming the Spirit of Criticism, deeply convicted me over how I spoke to people and judged them through my words and thoughts. Through the staff, I experienced the selfless love of Christ poured out, and it was through this that I first truly experienced the love of God and to see how much He loved me and was always there. Not that God had rejected me, but that I had rejected God. January and February brought about two of my most significant moments in the program. I finally brought into the light an event that I'd never spoken of since it occurred. Such to me was the level of shame and guilt. The other was during my phase two interviews. The Lord brought me to the end of myself and I repented of who I truly was in the Lord's eyes. In June, just prior to my scheduled graduation, it was made aware that there was still work that needed to be done in my heart. I responded in anger, indicating that they were indeed correct. But the Lord broke through and I repented to the congregation on the day I was supposed to graduate and I extended for two months. The staff came alongside me during the seven days of prayer and the Lord did a deeper work in me as I more fully surrendered my anger to Him, learned to walk more fully in the light, and learned to live as a more disciplined and diligent life born out of my desperate need for Him. The Lord is still doing a work in me and I'm still learning from Him, but I stand secure in Him. He is my source, my strength, and my refuge, and I know that He loves me and because of that I can love Him. None of this would have been possible without my Lord and my Savior Jesus Christ who even in my unbelief and rejection of him pursued me, called me, and loved me. He has washed me white as snow and given me a new heart. He delivered me from the bondage of my sexual sin and restored my marriage. I am different today than I was before, for you have made me a new creation in you. 
Praise be to God, my almighty and infinite Father, who holds me in his hand, cares for me, and loves me with a loving kindness that is inexhaustible. All honor and glory to him. All right, that's it for this episode. I think we've given you some really good thoughts, and I would just ask you to take those things to the Lord and ask him how you should live them out. Maybe you could set up a 15-minute block of time every day and intercede for people's needs. Maybe you could commit to meeting three different needs every day. I can guarantee you this, God wants to help you to become a giver. And if you'll step out in faith, over time you'll find that doing God's mercy becomes a part of your character. And you will find that you know what it means to live in victory. Thanks for joining us this week. Next week, we're going to look at prayer in greater depth so that you can learn to develop a life of prayer. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.